In a prominent position, right at the very front of the Spirit of Soho mural, is a gentleman sporting a bald head and a fine beard. He's a French poet who was associated with the symbolist and decadence movements of the late 19th century. At position number 44, it's Paul Verlaine. It's difficult to talk about Paul Verlaine, particularly in the context of his time in Soho, without also mentioning another man, his fellow poet Arthur Rimbaud. The two became inextricably linked when Verlaine left his wife and child to pursue a passionate and volatile love affair with Rimbaud, and by doing so, scandalised genteel French society. Their affair was relatively brief, a little over a year, and they spent much of it living as an out gay couple in London, a city that Verlaine described as being as black as a crow and noisy as a duck. They disembarked from the boat train at Charing Cross in September 1872 and quickly became part of the expat French community, artists, bohemians and political dissidents who'd carved out a French enclave at the eastern end of Soho. They eked out a living and spent their time writing poetry and drinking absinthe, which was cheap and widely available, in the cafes and bars of Soho. They fraternised with the French communard movement in exile and attended at least one political meeting in an upstairs room of a long-gone pub, the Hibernia Street Arms on Old Compton Street. It seems odd that of the two men, only one of them, Verlaine, features on the Spirit of Soho mural, which was a point I raised with my guest, Niall McDevitt. Niall is a poet and art activist who was part of the campaign to save the Camden House in which Verlaine and Rambo lived from redevelopment in 2007. He's also a walking artist who does many poetopographical tours of London and beyond, including one about Verlaine and Rambo, and has published three full collections of original poetry. We met at a very appropriate location, and I began by asking Niall to give me a quick potted biography of Paul Verlaine. Born in 1844 in the Ardennes area. He was the son of an army captain. His dad died when he was quite young. He got a job in the civil service, but all the time he was writing poetry. And he began getting in with the literary establishment of his day, the Parnassian movement. He was accepted by them and published by them. And so by the time he was in his mid-twenties, he was a recognized poet of great talent. He then kind of moving around in the salon culture of the city of the time, he met uh, a, a young woman from a very respectable bourgeois family, Matilda Mote, married her. He had a great life ahead of him, a respectable life and a kind of life of glory laying away. But then a letter from the sticks came. It was Arthur Rimbaud. Verlaine invited him up and that changed everything. Uh, the legendary affair took place. Verlaine Verlaine elopes from his own marriage and newborn son to be with Rumbo. They go to Belgium, then they come to London, and then they kind of go back and forth between London and France. And then after a famous argument, they end up in Brussels. Verlaine shoots Rumbo. He spent he does two years in jail, comes out again, comes back to London, does a bit of teaching in, in, in the English countryside through an agency, then goes back to France. Uh, lives in the countryside in France, falls in love with another young guy, a, a peasant from the country. Rambo was a peasant too, but this guy wasn't a genius. He, he liked a bit rough then. <laughs> he liked a bit rough. So, but that guy died young of uh, typhoid, a tra major tragedy in Verlaine's life, a beautiful suite of poems about Lucien Letinois. Then he, he would live on and off with his mother. His mother financed everything. So when Verlaine was uh, impecunious, mum would step in. Mum was a widow, and so Verlaine was the only child. So he was very, very spoiled by his mum. His mum was like an angel who 
put up with everything, so she was constantly funding everything. Then when she died, he basically ended up in Paris as a kind of as a, a kind of unlikely celebrity. Because of the scandal he'd been involved in, his work was blacklisted. No one would publish him anymore. His reputation evaporated. The sc- this is the scandal of, of leaving his wife and yeah. taking it with a man and all that kind That's of stuff. That's right, and then ending up two years in jail after shooting, remember that? It was an unbelievable scandal within literary circles. It wasn't quite as big as the Wild scandal. It wasn't national news story, but in the world of French letters, it was... Uh, so he basically ceased to exist as a poet. But in his old age, people began reading the stuff that he published, and he, he was publishing new stuff. And a, a slowly a myth began to form around him. Uh, and younger poets who were kind of found the established poets boring, they found Verlaine really, really interesting. And so he, he ended his days as an impecunious bohemian with a top hat and a worn-out old coat, living in hospitals on state charity, and then occasionally living in hotels with two middle-aged prostitutes. He had two lovers who were both middle-aged female prostitutes, and young people flocked around him. When he got out from the hospitals, they'd hang out in the cafes with him, buy him drinks. He was finally elected over the head of a bunch of academic, respectable poets, Prince of Poets in France. At the, after the death of Le Contelil, Verlaine became Prince of Poets, and he died in um, 1896 at the age of 51. Yeah, you mentioned earlier on that in his old age, but he never really reached old age. Yeah, he looked, he looked old when he died. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you touched on a few things there, uh, poetry movements and the Salon. Could you explain what the Salons were? Because we, I think we, we hear that banded around, and I wasn't really clear what they were. They were basically literary and artistic and musical gatherings that took place in the refined homes of the usually Parisian bourgeoisie. People of talent were invited round, poems were read, music was played, and it was a kind of social, informal social network, but you could actually make a name for yourself on the salon circuit. Verlaine also met uh, his wife at a salon, and th- so you, you could not only get ahead as an artist, but you could meet your future partner at these salons as well. He came to London at least twice, from what you're saying. Yeah. And Soho specifically? He arrived in London for the first time with Rimbaud in September 1872. And they headed straight for Soho because Soho was a French enclave. For instance, we're meeting here in um, Maison Berteau. That was a commune art cafe. The commune had uh, been cruelly kind of shut down by the Versailles in May 1871, and there was a kind of mass exodus of about, you know, three, five thousand French people came to live in London. Some of them set up this cafe, so this was a communard cafe. A year later, Rambo and Verlaine arrived, so there was a nice infrastructure. There'd been kind of uh, exiles and refugees from 1848 as well, so they'd already created a fantastic French London infrastructure. Verlaine and Rambo came straight here, they probably would have crashed in a cheap DOS house, and then they began looking for friends that lived in the area. Felix Regami, an artist, drew cartoons of them in the early days of their arrival. They probably had a pint at the Yorkshire Grey, that place near Broadcasting House. Oh, really? That, yeah. Was it called the Yorkshire Grey in those days? It was, it's been there since 1830, so, wow. yeah, they would have had a pint at the Yorkshire Grey. I don't Grey. go there. It's full of BBC managers, so I it know. It is. There. Yeah. <laughs> I never That's go. Right. Yeah. They've, they've got a photo of Orwell on the walls, not Rambo and Verlaine, but it's a bit of a no-brainer. They would have had a pint there, with probably with Felix Gregami. One of the 
communards that was in London was Eugene Vermesh. He was a kind of hero to Rimbaud, and he was a friend of Verlaine's. He was a journalist, a polemicist. He set up uh, dissenting magazines. He was kicked out of France. He had to go on the run. He was kicked out of Holland. Uh, but England was very liberal and tolerant, patriotic libertarianism. They let the French in, and they don't extradite them. And so Vermesh was thriving in London. He was living in Fitzrovia on Howland Street, 34 Howland Street. But he was about to get married, so he, he moves out of his rather dingy Howland Street flat. Verlaine and Rambo move in because they know the guys. That's kind of how it worked. It's been bombed into oblivion. But the post office tower kind of marks the, the site of whereabouts on Howland Street they were. And uh, people think that's appropriate because it's one of the most phallic buildings in London. <laughs> uh, Rambo's line, Ithyphalic and belligerent. So it's like this big Ithyphalic tower that uh, commemorates the, the famous uh, gay honeymoon of our, our, our heroes. Had he had gay affairs before? Yes. When he was at school, he probably had a, an affair with... Uh, one of his school pals, so that was quite a serious crush when he was a teenager. Rumbo was the second big occurrence, and that Verlaine was just pushing 30, and Verlaine was exactly 10 years older than Rumbo. So, uh, so say, say Verlaine is sort of 27, Rumbo is 16 when they start hanging out together. So uh, of the two, only Verlaine has the slot on the Spirit of Soho mural. How, I mean, you didn't paint it, obviously, but how do you account for that? Why would he be on there and not, not Artur? It's, it's uh, it, quel surprise, as they say. Okay. Well, you speak French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's inexplicable. It would be great to contact the artist and ask in an uncritical way why she went against the grain. It would have been much likelier to see Rambo there and, and Verlaine being forgotten. What it reminds me of is, is the fact that after the deaths of both men, Verlaine's star was on the rise first. And Verlaine, sort of late in his own life and then straight after became one of the most famous poets in Europe, it took Rambo another 30 years to then start eclipsing Verlaine. So that having Verlaine on the mural puts me in mind of that. Uh, funnily enough, 50 years after they first arrived, Paul Valéry, a great French poet of modernism, unveiled a plaque at 34 Howland Street for Verlaine. So this is what, 1930s? It's 1922. 1922, yeah. okay. The Annus Mirabilis of Modernism, 1922, great modernist French poet, unveils a plaque for, for Verlaine. Rambo's just becoming huge, but Verlaine is still the name to be reckoned with. So the, the mural puts me in mind of that, Verlaine being the better known rather than Rambo, but these days it's the, it's the other way around. So when I um, commissioned my alternative Soho mural, because there's so many people on there who, so many people who aren't on there. Yeah. I mean, lots of them are kind of, you know, gangsters and people like that. But there are noticeable exceptions. Maybe he's, he's one that I should put on there. I think Arthur Rambo is, uh, is, is, is worthy of that. In your opinion, does Verlaine deserve his slot on the, on the mural? Is, does he embody that spirit? He does. He, he, he does. Verlaine really deserves to be in a spirit of Soho mural. Because he came here as a, kind of, with a gay lover... And Rambo and Rambo were consciously living in a kind of um, openly gay relationship as a way of kind of shocking the bourgeoisie. So they arrive in Soho as a couple, and that really is completely avant-garde, completely ahead of its time. And so the Verlaine has a real presence in Soho. You see it being celebrated today. There's a poet, Sean Bonney, who's got a great poem. Paul Verlaine reads poems in Old Compton Street, and there's a 
gay poet called Richard Scott, who has a sequence called Verlaine in Soho. English poets uh, of today are really tuning into the Verlaine presence, which is great because uh, it gets over the slightly immature fetishization of Rambo. And does his poetry survive translation? Uh, this is a problem for Verlaine. He's very underappreciated, underestimated. He's just seen as a grotesque comic sidekick to the, the young genius Rambo, but Rambo himself thought Verlaine was a great poet. That's, that should be enough recommendation. Uh, one problem is that Verlaine is such a brilliant musician in the French language, it actually becomes hard to translate it into an equivalent English music that's any good. That's why freer translations are better. Uh, Rambo is more uh, comprehensible because a lot of the poems are in prose and that, that is easier to translate. You had a couple of um, things you wanted to read from Verlaine? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, um, just to give you a, a translation of a sonnet that he wrote which celebrates Soho okay. as, a kind of gay, as a kind of gay enclave. Let's hear that. In French it's sonnet boiteux, limping sonnet. Verlaine was lame. He later became lame from syphilis. It's a funny name, but you can translate it as limp sonnet if you want. But because of the imagery, I call it Sodom, after Verlaine. This melancholy's too much. I'm alone, adventure over. An illegal feeling eats inward. The climax is deathly. I sense, like a mouse in a laboratory, science's scalpel, and observe with soft focus eyes my lifeblood drained. London billows, London shrieks, a city from the Bible, the gas lamps flame and shimmer, road signs redden, and crumbling slums echo seismic pressures, looking weird as covens of toothless fossilized crones. Ugly flashbacks lunge with spitting and hissing of cats in the filthy pink-yellow fogs of this Soho vice zone, where street slang cuffs your ear as a penance for sins. I'm up to my eyeballs in decay, a shabby martyrdom. In the dust of my window, it's written, the bottom falls out of the sky where fire rampages in this biblical city-state.